It's that time of the year here at Longleaf Breeze. Time to plant longleaf pine seedlings. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of February the 6th, 2014. This is the time of year when our thoughts turn naturally to longleaf pine seedling planting. Uh, each year at this time, we plant about 300 longleaves, and um, we always look forward to it. We enjoy doing it together, and it's one of those things we can do with almost no heavy equipment, so it's very pleasant. It really is. Plus, it's just so pleasant to walk through the woods this time of the year. Obviously, we don't go out there when it's really brutal weather, but if it's a nice winter day like we had last Saturday, that was just wonderful. Um you don't mind walking around and just taking it all in. Longleafs grow very slowly when you first plant them. Um, at least the portion you can see grows very slowly when you first plant them. Um, but uh, in their later life, they can grow at uh, quite impressive rates. Well, I thought we might... Um, First, talk a little bit about why we love longleaf so much and why we plant them with such consistency, and then maybe talk a little bit about how we do it. Right. And I, I was reading a book called Looking for Longleaf, The Fall and Rise of an American Forest by Lawrence Early. And it's, it has a lot of interesting information about longleaves. We probably can put the reference to that on the show notes page. Sure can. Uh, but... So some of the facts that we will um, tell you about will come from that book. But we developed an affinity for longleaves. Heck, we named our property for that, partly because it is um, one of the natural um, occurring trees, naturally occurring trees in this area that is extremely well adapted. In it fact, was It was the backbone of the southern forest. It was. In fact, if you read... Uh, the early part of um, this book by Early, um, you'll be sad because you'll realize that, um, as I came to know, that the longleaf pine is an endangered species in the southeastern United States when it used to cover 92 million acres or something. I mean, it was just an incredible um, plant that was adapted to the coastal plains, um, the Piedmont region and parts of the Appalachians. Um, and uh, where we are, the sandy loam soil that we have is extremely hospitable to the longleaf pine. The longleafs, I told you, they gr grow very slowly above the ground at first, and they do, but that doesn't mean they're not growing. What they do is they turn their attention to developing a deep taproot. And you found a fascinating set of statistics in the early book that we thought it might be worthwhile to, to uh, share with folks. So why don't you run right. through that? Well, it's one of a number of adaptations that the longleaf pine has made to its habitat that has made it successful. That is until human intervention. But um, it, we always remember the adage that longleaf pines sleep, creep, and leap in terms of their um, 
growth cycle? Well, what we found out from early is that when you first plant a long leaf, the little seedling either sprouts up naturally from a pine cone or you plant it, that within two weeks, it can develop a taproot that's 20 inches long. Within 10 to 11 months, it can develop a taproot that's up to eight feet long. And at maturity, the taproot's much longer. And of course, this provides the advantage of um, burrowing into a dry soil and going low enough, deep enough, that it can actually access uh, water and nutrients. It actually stores food in that taproot for later use. And it also helps to anchor the tree in the sandy soil that we have here. And you used the expression, or maybe Earl used the expression, that the longleaf is not a sprinter. It's a long-distance runner. Exactly. That was a, that's where we got it. Yeah, that's an, uh, and it certainly makes sense because um, old-growth forests, I mean, a longleaf can live up to, f- to four to 500 years. So they have a lot of vested interest in just taking it at their own pace <laughs> to and, get started. And my brother Dave Gray and I became, uh, came face-to-face with what that means when we were doing some longleaf clearing for trails, we ended up needing to um, deal with a couple of stumps of longleafs that were right in the middle of trails that were important to us. We wanted to have this this trail that was nice and smooth. So, and we should ha- say that we didn't cut the longleaf down. The, right, Someone the loggers had cut it down and, and, and then left created the stump. a logging road. And once they created a logging road, then it made sense to put the trail there. But we did have this longleaf stump that needed to be dealt with. So Dave Gray would get his um, excavator and get after it. And, you know, a loblolly pine or an oak tree or a sweet gum, you can take a big old stump and, you know, within 10 minutes or so, he's got the stump out of there. Longleaf, he might be working on that for 30 or 35 minutes with that excavator because the taproot is so thick, so long, so entrenched in the soil. Um... It was just a phenomenal thing to watch, to, to see those tap roots and how big and gnarly they were. And it made me extremely sad that someone actually ended that tree's life. <laughs> but we couldn't do anything about that. What we can do, which is what we're trying to do, is plant new ones. New so a couple leaves. of other things that long leaves uh, have to recommend them are thick bark. And you explained to me how that helps. Right. Well... Fire, which one of the adaptations that the plants have made here, that the trees have made here, is that um, in the summertime, when you have thunderstorms, lightning strikes in the forest and ignites a fire. Um, If you've got a tree with thick bark, it can withstand that fire. And it actually, in the case of longleaves, and we'll talk about that a little later, it actually um, helps them predominate in the ecosystem if there's fire. And just a little detour here. You and I are of an age. We grew up in hearing Smokey the Bear tell us that only you can prevent forest fires. We just we were immersed in that me- that message. And what it means is that even now you and I have a terror of fire in the forest. That's true. Yeah, and 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 and, and, and all that it can mean. Well. We know now that only you can prevent forest fires. That was basically driven by the timber industry. They were trying to control fires because fires are not good news when you raise timber. But 
For the long-term health of the forest, it needs fire. And longleaf pines, in particular, thrive on fire. Yeah, but it might, but it sh- should be a controlled kind of thing. And we're certainly not advocating that people go out and start forest fires. Don't hear that. But we're just saying that um, that in, that even watching the movie Bambi as a small child, I think I was five years old when I saw you know forest the on fire and all the animals and fleeing. And yes, animals do know how to get out of the way of fire. They have that advantage; they can move. A longleaf pine is adapted to fire because it's got a nice thick bark that pr- protects that cambium layer. And guess what's not adapted to fire? Sweet gums. Yes. When we, <laughs> when we use fire on a regular basis, we keep the sweet gums and the privet under control. So naturally, we have forests that we are scared to death to let them burn, so we end up with big thickets of privet and sweet gum. Well, uh, yes, I'm, I'm trying to get over my fear about it right now. The more I read about this, the more I'm realizing we need to do it. And, and we should um, interrupt here and say, because of that terror we've always felt, you and I have yet to use fire in our forest. Intentionally, anyway. Well, we that's <laughs> Yes, that's true. We've we, had a couple of unplanned fires, and you know what? We have actually seen the adva- it adva- helps. It, yes. it makes a difference. The, the advantageous results of it. So um, we just need to, to control it and do it, and we'll we'll talk more about the timing in a second. Well, another adaptation that um, longleaves have to their advantage is they have large seeds, which means they're heavy. They they fall near the tree as opposed to being carried off in the wind, and they can if they're on if they fall onto the right kind of soil. So we're back to um, the burning idea again because it needs to be sort of bare mineral soil. Um, if it falls onto that, that seed can germinate almost immediately and begin to. Uh, and because it's large, it's got enough moisture and food in there to to help it germinate quickly. Of course, that aids in its survival. And for that reason, they say the fire probably should be during the growing season, not um, in the winter. Yeah, because then, you know, you're, well, we should talk about the timing of when the seeds fall. The seeds are, in, in the case of a longleaf, are produced or actually fall in the fall, in the autumn. <laughs> they fall in the autumn. In other words, an autumn um, seed production is actually advantageous to them because it gives those small seedlings, the germinated seedlings, a chance to form a, a root so the, the idea wintertime. is the fire during the growing season leaves mineral soil in the fall, and yes. then the the heavy seed falls on that mineral soil, germinates, and, and is, germinates, and and you're off to the races. And you're off to the races because then it gives the plant enough, as I said, to survive the winter. So. Nice. Okay. Uh, one of the other things about longleaf pines. If you've driven down the highway and you've seen a loblolly forest, you know that the tendency that loblollies have and slash pines and a lot of other pines, is to take over the canopy so that if in a, in a tight stand of um, pine being grown for timber, there's almost no penetration of light to the ground below, which the people who are growing pines love because it does away with their need to go in and clear that forest floor. They, they can just depend on the pines to shade everything out. But that's not good for habitat. That's not good for wildlife. That's not good for the ecosystem. Longleaves, on the other hand, don't shade out with their canopy. They have a canopy that stays relatively open 
so you can have light penetration to the forest floor and you can have herbaceous growth that is good for wildlife and so forth. So yeah. that's another thing that we like about the longleaf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, we're not growing for timber. We're not trying to put on as much wood as possible. We're trying to create an ecosystem that makes sense in the long run. And, and when they say create, go back to as much as possible the True. ecosystem We're that was here to, to begin with. We're trying to restore an ecosystem. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, well, another advantage that uh, the longleaves have, you might think, well, they don't grow very fast. They just look like a little grass stage. They look like a little clump of grass for about two to five years. But that's actually not a disadvantage. Um, believe it or not, they become fire resistant within one to two years of planting or their, uh, you know, or germination or whatever. In other words, they're, um, even though it may appear, oh, this fire comes through and let's say it's a one and a half to two year old grass stage and it burns the needles off, it actually has these buds under there that survive the fire. If, you know, if you can get it to that age, obviously you don't want to burn them the first, within the first year, but if you can get them to that age, they will survive that. And that's an advantage they have over other trees. Then the the best way we know how to prepare for the coming climate chaos in the forest is to grow lots of longleaf pines. Uh, your friend Larry Davenport at Samford was the first one who shared this wisdom with us years ago. But others have have sounded the same chorus that the longleaf is the best way to prepare the forest for the uncertainty about the climate going forward. Yes. So, and, and, you know, because it is a naturally adapted plant, I feel the way about longleaves that I do about other heirlooms and other native species that it was here for a reason and it survived for a reason. And the fact that it's not out there right now or is because, people intervened and um, in fact we have a neighbor down the road I'm passing every day now where they're doing some logging and from what I could tell I mean I'm trying to play Gladys Kravitz here and you know see what they're doing but it looked as though it was more of like what happened here which is they're taking out the pines and leaving other trees Um, but they're probably taking out any long leaves that are there too they're not discriminating Mm -hmm. Um, so we just think that not only to deal with climate change, but as much as we can, and that's consistent with the philosophy I have about pest control and anything else, which is to, um, if there are garden pests out there, you do what you can to attract the natural predators of those pests. And the same thing goes for the philosophy we have about our restoration of the forest. So we have a little bit of time left. Let's uh, maybe branch over and talk about how you and I have uh, developed our method of doing this. Uh, each year, our brother, my brother Dave Gray buys a bunch of boxes of longleaf pines, but we typically buy just one from him. Which contains what, 300 trees? Which contains 300 trees, and the cost of those trees is maybe a, you know, a quarter of a tree. So it's, they're very inexpensive when we buy them in that way. We keep them moist. We make sure they don't freeze in the box, and we keep them, um, you know, just protected and in the dark until we're ready to um, get ready to plant them. And then when we get ready to plant them, you put a bunch of them in a canvas bag that you sling on your shoulder, and we walk around in the forest. 
one of the things that's different about our approach is that we don't try to clear and plant a whole field of longleaf pines. We're just supplementing the existing forest with longleafs that we plant in amongst the other trees in the forest. And if we see an open area, because thanks to the loggers who came before we bought the property, we'll certainly try to fill that in if it's not a trail, if, uh, you know, a non-trail cleared area that we're not using for some other purpose, we'll plant longleaves there. I guess the exception would be if you, if it's an area we think you need to keep bush hogging because we don't want to plant a tree just to have you bush hog it down. So, but um, we try, we realize that of course they probably would like to get a little bit more sun than they're getting when we shelter them under other trees, but they do grow that way. They do. And that sleep, creep and leap idea, uh, they may not uh, shoot up, but they don't die either. They survive and, well, some of them do die. But It's like um, any other planting, right? You're not going to get 100%. Yeah, and we get nowhere near 100% survival. I would say um, maybe 50, 60% survival. That's a raw, you know, rough guess. Yeah, we haven't part. really done a study, and maybe no. we should at some point. So uh, when we decide we found a spot, um, I carry around this heavy metal dibble, and um, my task is to bring that dibble down as hard as I can so that I create the um, hole in which we will plant the longleaf seedling. And um, you always are after me to make that hole as wide as possible. Well, some of the so. little seedlings have fat roots, so I need them to get in there. But uh, but you you do the heavy lifting for sure. You're doing the, the hard back-breaking work. And although I've, I've done a few, and I'm telling you, I don't want to be the dib- dibble wielder. <laughs> but um, then I put the tree in, and you close it up with the dibble. And um, it's that and we simple. we move on to the move next on to one. The next and we can, place. Uh, when we're in a, in a good flow, we can plant a long leaf in about 11 or 12 seconds. It, it doesn't take a long time. So, um, the, it, and that's what allows us to plant 300 trees without having to stop our whole operation. We can, you know, two or three good days of planting and we're finished with 300 trees. Ideally, we would time it so that we plant them fairly soon before a rain. Um, we planted a number of this year's plants, uh, trees, before the severe snow and ice that we had it went down to you know the teens and some of those are not looking that great that some of the needles are a little yellowed but most of the ones that we've planted this winter uh, the soil has been fairly moist and they are um, doing well so far yeah um Oh, uh, you had talked with me about the irregular seeding pattern of longleafs, and I, f- I found that fascinating. That's right, and and we can. I think it's worthwhile to mention it at this point in the podcast while we're talking about um, our approach and what we're seeing. Uh, we can look out, for example, and see evidence of the the first year that we put out some seedlings that they are actually are to the creep stage. That's right, they're beginning <laughs> they're, to creep they're, now. They're at the juvenile stage, and they can put on, oh, four to five, you know, feet of growth a, a year, you know, after that. But um, isn't that what I said, like maybe four feet? When, I was when thinking they it get, was three or four feet, but it's Yeah, let's say around four feet. Pretty in impressive a good, rate of growth. Yes, once they get to a certain point, maybe after five to seven years. But they don't, and they're not all identical. Each one, again, it's that diversity idea that works so well in nature. But... Um, this gives me some hope that we, because 
we've been here five years doing all this and haven't necessarily seen overwhelming results. But apparently an advantage for longleafs is that they um, reach what we call a mast year. That is a year that they can... That's M-A-S-T. M-A-S-T, right. Um, that is a really good seeding year. And it's only going to be every five to seven years. And what I found fascinating is that in most years, their seeding rate will be very low, and then there will be one year when they just flood the ground with seeds. Well, that's an adaptation because when, those, when they keep it very low, they keep the critters from multiplying and eating all their seeds and so forth and sort of starve them out, basically. And then there will be one year when they just flood the ground with seeds and they just overwhelm the predators. Right, the predators with those seeds. Is, is still going to get some, but there's plenty more where that came from. And you that's know? just that is so cool. It I is just so think cool. That makes sense. Yes, and it's amazing when you read the list of predators he talks about in the book that you know that any of them survive. But um, but that makes sense. So I guess the reason I feel hopeful is to say, okay, so I've been doing this for five years, and maybe I haven't seen the seeds overwhelm anything. Not that we have that many mature trees, but we do have some. Uh, but Maybe we haven't seen our mast year yet. It, it mentioned that a mast year is usually a regional phenomenon, uh, that it's documented the way a fine year for a Bordeaux wine might be. <laughs> so I think we'll just keep our ears to the ground and hear what other people are saying about the seed production they're observing and uh, hope for a mast year to come very soon. There you go. Uh, one last thought about plans to harvest. We are we have no plans to harvest any of our forest for timber. Um, our goal is not um, anything about timber. It's about creating a mature ecosystem. And as a result, we plan to allow the forest to continue to grow unimpeded. And one of the things that results from that, we know, is that old trees grow faster than young trees. Let me say that again. Old trees grow faster than young trees. That is counterintuitive. It was a surprise to you and me. It's actually a surprise to researchers. We've assumed that because old trees reach a point at which they stop growing taller, that must mean they slow down in their rate of growth. But they don't. They may stop growing up, but they keep growing out. They keep adding muscle. They keep adding, uh, what is it, biomass. Yes. And uh, so, and we know that the longer we allow our forest to mature, the more it will grow, the healthier it will be, the more resistant to change it will be, and frankly, it the more carbon it will sequester. So it's just a win-win-win all around. That's right. Well, thanks for visiting with us about longleaf pines today. Um, you can probably tell that we are a little bit passionate about them. We hope to visit with you next week more in-depth about longleaf pines and perhaps with the help of an expert. Have a good week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. 
You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.